0: All right, I'm going to put this right over here, so it's not one less visual out of your way. Okay, so we had a great week of study. Fortunately, only two chapters, aren't we glad, because that 21 was a long one, <laughs> it's very long. Um, what, we, what I want to do with us this morning is start with just a very quick review of perspective-wise, where we're at. Good morning, Brenda. Where we're at in this. Now, tell me, um, again, where we start in the opening of the book of Ezekiel, what year do we think we're in approximately? And what do we base our, our understanding off of? So that if you were, to, if someone were to ask you, you know, when do these events take place, what would you show them? Well, in the
1: beginning, it was five minutes.
0: Okay, so it's approximately, well, 592. They, they started all of the activities in 597, yes. But the writing of the book of Ezekiel starts in 592. Now, why do we know that? Right. And what scripture verse at the opening of Ezekiel would you go to to show someone where you gleaned your insight about the timeline of things? thank you. Verse chapter one, verse two in what is the year that's given to us there? All right, so it's, a, it's in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's exile. Now, that gives us the marker date to say this is when Ezekiel began his prophesying. So if you needed to know that, th- that's what you would take someone to, okay? So let's put that up here. It's the fifth year, and I'm just going to put fifth year as a, a short version of King Jehoiakim's reign. It would be 592 B.C., and that is, that is approximately... In that fifth year then, which makes Marion, according to what you said, 597, you had five, the, the five years back into it, it's 597, which is the beginning. That would have been at the start of, the, of that first, when they had had that first siege. Okay, so fifth year. So chapters one through three, what kind of is going on in those chapters? What has, what does God do in the opening of the book of Ezekiel? This is review. Pardon? There's a vision of the glory of God Most High, right? Although he's not called God Most High in this book, what is he called? The Lord God, right? And we talked about those titles, the Lord God, and what do we see in the uh, understanding of those two words about God? What is he saying to us? Okay, in, the, in, this, in the, the title of Lord and God, we see that he is um, the ruler, Lord, right? Sovereign authority, Sovereign authority okay, and the, and the word God, which actually is in all capital letters sometimes, even the word Lord is sometimes in all capitals. The Lord God and God being what? What do we know about him there? His name, Jehovah. It's very, it's the word Jehovah, isn't it? Are Yahweh right? What is that title to Israel? Why is that title so important, Yahweh? The of- That's exactly right. That's the name by which God introduced Himself to Israel. It's He calls it His covenant name to them. It is His His. Um, it is the name by which they came to know who God was. And when when. Mo, um, um, Moses went to God and said, who do I say to the people that, that has sent me? And he said, say to them, I, I am sent me. And that I am also is that same, that same title, the Lord God, Yahweh. All right. So 1 through 3, we see God then is, is uh, he shows his glory. All right. And the secondary thing we see in chapters 1 through 3 is about the author. So what do we see about the author in those three chapters? Okay. Yeah. Yes, in the land of those Chaldeans. A prophet. He was was called, literally in the 1 through 3, we see a calling of him, don't we, by God. God calls him to be his prophet and his spokesman, basically. So Ezekiel is called as God's prophet. This is going to really get your brains stirred up a little bit here, this review time. It's always great. But we're not hitting a lot of heavy details. I just want to get big, chunky pieces on this. Now, in chapters 4 and 5, what else do we see there? What happens in those those two chapters? Ezekiel begins to do what? (coughs) Yeah. So he starts he actually starts and begins his work of prophesying to the people, right? So his in 4 and 5 he he starts out by giving them signs, right? Oh, yeah. The the man with the luggage, right, is one of them. And they are signs to who? Yeah, the exiles, right? It's to the exiles. And then In that, he's talking to them about, to the exiles, but he's also talking about Jerusalem. What is he saying about Jerusalem? That's right. There's a coming siege and a coming destruction for them, right? Which is very interesting because they've already had two sieges, right? Right? So this is, for them, they're looking at this going, surely not. And, and you see, at about that time, they start talking about how they're the pot. And they're safe, right? Because they don't believe that they're actually going to have that happen to them. Now, in chapter 6 and 7, there's another prophecy. Now, this one is not a prophecy to um, the exiles. And it's not a prophecy specifically about just Jerusalem. But now the pro- the so, uh, prophecy is... To all the people and and to the what? The land land itself, that's right. It's the prophecy to the land. Telling them about the land, what's going to happen with it. And concerning what's going to happen to the land, why is God doing this? Why does he give a word of prophecy to the land? What were these people doing upon the land at this point in these chapters? Yeah, up on every heel, right, idolatry upon every heel and under every tree. Do you understand now why God, so what God is saying here is that, uh, you, you know, you are in exile and you're there because of what has happened, more exile is going to happen, he said and Jerusalem um, is going to be completely seized, and he says, so now, now he prophesies to the land, and he says, the land's end is coming, why? Because of Why? They're high places. So the land is going to be now judged also. It's coming for your high places. You also know that the Jews have not let the land have its Yeah. There is so much additional detail. You know, when, when it comes to a study about the, the, uh, the history of the Jews, because literally the entire Old Testament is their history, we, could, we never almost could fully exhaust it or pull in all of those pieces. But that is a point that in, in other studies like um, in Daniel... Specifically, we hit on that one pretty heavily because in Daniel, that's where he says that he read the prophecy about Jeremiah, that for 70 years they would be in their captivity. It was about to come to its end. And we looked at that reason for why 70 years. Well, it was because of the number of the years that they had been upon their land. The four, was a 490 or something like that? And that every seventh year they were supposed to give it its Sabbath. Right. And they had not done that. So God made them go into captivity for 70 years to pay back the Sabbath years that they had not paid. Why is that significant to what we've studied in this week's homework? What did He say about the people in 21? What were they not obeying? What did they not obey in the wilderness, and were they, they themselves were not doing? The statutes and ordinances were not being followed. He was, they were not still not honoring God's Sabbaths, right? So the reason they were there for 70 years to begin with is because they did not give the land its Sabbath year. So that's a really good point, Diane. Thank you for bringing that one up. Not only that, when they were in
1: Egypt, they probably didn't follow the laws of the Jews, you know, of Israel, because they were intermingling with marriage.
0: They did. They broke... Every law and ordinance and statute there there was just about, didn't they? They broke them all. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to number how many that they actually broke, right? Okay, so now in chapter 8, let's look at 8 to 11. What? Where are we now on a timeline? Do we get a new time indicator? Yeah, so we're in 591. We're in the sixth year, which is 591. All right, in uh, eight to eleven, then what happens next this one is re- to me is really profound and it's one of those segments in scripture which that you really do need to remember where this this information is okay what's happening there yes. In the in eight, nine, ten and eleven you see the uns the un uh, veiling of the storyline of what had happened in Israel concerning God's holy temple. And he specifically even mentions what I think is interesting is how he, he focuses in on those prophets, he focuses in on those elders, the, the leaders of the people, and the, the abominations that were taking place there, right? And so ultimately he takes us to the temple and what we see is these visions of the temple and of Jerusalem and then the end result is what happens? God's glory departs. That's right. So 8 to 11 is your visions of temple and Jerusalem abominations. Yes. God's glory departs from there. And there is a promise at this point also of a new heart and a new covenant one day, right? That right now, I mean, at this point, God's glory was was still present with them in the temple, right? And now it's going to depart. And he's, he's made a promise at that point then, okay, I am departing, but what am I promising to you in Ezekiel 11? One day I will Remove that heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you, right? So that's a, that's a really good point. I'm going to add that one on here. New heart promised. New heart uh, and spirit. See, my dyslexia is working backwards. I s- totally did that backwards. You guys fix it. Okay. <laughs> All right, 12 to 19... Um this one is a bigger chunk of of grouping the way that they had on the on the outline that they gave to us. They said, "What is going on in then in 12 to 19? He's laid out basically this history. He's shown us what the d- the deeds of these people, the abominations of these people. We see the glory leave and now what? Now that the glory is gone, what what is that pave the way for?" Finally, it's going to be uh, the actual judgment he has been warning them for so long has he not yeah. boy when we looked at this chapter 20 and 21 this week we saw how over and over through history God has pr- had warned and warned it's like how many times do we warn our kids right we shouldn't <laughs> do it that m- we really shouldn't give them that many warnings you know some parents say well three warnings and then you're you're out right but but there are some parents who say, no, you get, you get one warning and then you're done. But God, how many years did God plead with Israel to remember their covenant and to walk faithfully with him? Unbelievable. So in 12 to 19, we see here judgment um, is no longer delayed. I'm going to try a different black marker. This one, not very good. Uh, sure, I like, I have one right here. Maybe actually I have two right here. One of these ought to be good. Ah, there we go. Wow! I hope that's a I hope that's not a permanent marker. <laughs> Dry erase marker. It says it is. It's so good. <laughs> <And> <laughs> okay, so judgment is no longer delayed. They are given over to the fire at this point, right? Now, um, as we get ready to go into chapter 20, then there's one thing I want to do, because what is happening in chapter 20 in those first few verses? What is the setting up of this? yeah those elders are coming to Ezekiel, so what I want to do is kind of take you back, and I want you to look with me at a couple of verses to refresh your memory about these elders and what and what the storyline has kind of been with them because they keep showing up. Have you noticed? Yeah. okay, so go back to eight one, where we see them first uh mentioned in the uh the record here. He says in they 1, that they came to Ezekiel, right? Why did they come? Obviously, it was to hear from who? Hear, to hear from the Lord, to hear from God. Now, what does God tell them in that chapter 8, the opening of chapter 8? I, I drop down to verse 6 because I thought that one was a pretty amazing statement. Yeah. yeah, if you're not going to amend your ways, don't come and ask me or inquire of me, right? So, yeah, but he also said,
1: Son of God, Son of man.
0: Uh, yeah, he's speaking to, his, to Ezekiel at that point. Yeah, and he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The abominations which was, uh, the house of Israel are committing here. So that what? What is, what is what they are doing about to cause to happen here? Isn't that amazing? It's because of their abominations that I'm about to be far from my sanctuary. So this is a real indictment against them at this point. It's because of their deeds that God is about to be far from his san- sanctuary. The elders, because of them, because of their deeds or their abominations... God is about to be far from his sanctuary. Okay, and that's in an six. So that little, that's a very interesting. Um, then if you, once you go beyond that, you start looking to see at some of the things that they actually were doing. just Go to 11 and 12 and let's look at just the conclusion of... Here we see the the elders mentioned again. It says standing in front of them were 70 elders. Now, what has happened is he's having a vision, right? The vision of the temple. And he's seeing the different activities. What were some of the things that were happening at the temple at this point, in this vision? We know it was abominations, but who was participating in these abominations? Okay. Amazing! So the priests were defiling God's sanctuary. The women, the women who were weeping for Tammuz, yeah. right? Uh huh. Look in eleven and twelve, and who and who's mentioned here? The elders. The elders. Here we see a guy. By the way, 70 elders is no small number, right? It's not like it was onesies and twosies. They, they had all jumped on the bandwagon here, it looks like. So he says, and there were 70 elders of the house of Israel. Right. And um, he said th- about Asenariah. them. The son of yeah. He apparently is someone that Ezekiel. New and recognized because he he kind of singled him out. Oh, there's one I know or something, it seems. And then in twelve he says, And son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark? Yes. Each man in his room, in his carved images. For they say the Lord does not see us, the Lord has forsaken the land. So here they are committing these terrible acts. So we see in in eight to twelve This is when Ezekiel has his vision about all these abominations that they were doing at the temple. So Ezekiel had a vision of the abominations that they had either themselves committed, correct, or had allowed, right? Would you say that they had the authority to have made these corrections when they saw things like this happening? Did the elders have authority to make correction? Yes, they did. Absolutely. Absolutely. The elders are the elders. They're the leaders of the people, right? And these leaders, when they saw the women crying for Tammuz, when they saw these idols that were set up at the sanctuary doors, and when they saw even the priests doing wrong things, what should the elders have done? they should have made some corrections they should have rebuked they should have corrected they should have instructed they should have, if nothing else they should have brought their their buddy that they recognized along the side privately and said to him look what are you guys doing right but they did not do that so here we see in the in the flow of information about the who these elders are that they first they are coming to ezekiel to to seek the lord supposedly and yet when they come in there, then God tells Ezekiel it's because of their abominations that he's about to leave his sanctuary, and Ezekiel then sees these visions. He sees their abominations, right, that are being taken place at the temple. It's not like they're just out somewhere, you know, in the privacy of their home somewhere, but these are things they are bringing abominations into the worship place into the most holy of places he sees their abominations and they do nothing they either do nothing or they uh participate and participate okay now the elders that are sitting in front of me we have to assume that had they been in Jerusalem they would have been doing the same thing absolutely as a matter of fact And as a matter of fact, we know that is absolutely true because then when you move into chapter 14, what, what, yes. Okay, good. Let's go to chapter 14 now. So this is chapter eight here. Now let's go to chapter 14 and look at them. And what do we see in 14? Another visit, right? In verse one. In one and two, what does God say about them when they show up again? He makes an indictment against them again. What does he say? Yeah, you these men have idols. They have set up their idols in their hearts and right before their faces, right? And says, and so what is God's reply basically to them? In verses, go down to verse 6. I'm going to try to help you along here a little bit. I know this is really scratching in there. Some of these are tough to remember the first time through. Yes, repent and turn from your ways. Isn't it interesting that even now, even while in their exile, they're not learning? They apparently are still not repentant, even though God is, I'm just blown away by this. I mean, when I looked at this last night, I went, Wow. What is wrong with these men that they are seeing the destruction and that as God brings in his wrath, as he brings in his judgment against them, as they begin to experiencing uh, to experience those cursings that God had forewarned them about, and yet now they're in exile and they're still, they're still not repenting. And
1: they've got not repenting. stuff. Tell them, hey,
0: this exile is going to be over in a couple of years. Right yes yes all these false prophets continued and and in there in the in the unfolding line that we've looked at so far in these chapters we see a place in there where it talked about those whitewashed walls rather than preparing for what the prophets of God had said which is God's judgment was coming instead they just put whitewash over it and said peace peace you know don't worry it's everything's going to be fine yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So God said God said about them idols in their hearts. And he they were told to repent. All right. So that's in 14 to 16 basically. Verses 1 and 2 tells us about their, the idols set up in their heart. Now, and this is God's proclamation of this. This isn't like Ezekiel is saying this of them. It's not like other people are saying this. God himself, through prophetic word, through, to Ezekiel, said, these men have idols set up in their hearts. And then he goes on to, to explain more details. And then he says, repent and turn from your evil ways. Okay, so... This is who the elders are thus far, correct? Now, timeline-wise, we're where? At what time? In the sixth year, about 591 B.C., correct? Now, when we go into chapter 20, we have a new date, right? Where are we now? The seventh year. So we're at about 590 B.C., correct? Yes. Yay. Isn't that nice? That's so much easier to figure out than some of these, huh? <laughs> Once you get the first one, you're in pretty good shape. Okay, so let's move on to chapter 20 now, and let's, and let's see what we see about these uh, elders going on here. What do we see being said of them? Again, they show up. They've, they come to inquire. What does God say to them? I will not be inquired of by you. So what does that tell you at the at this point? God is kind of fed up with him. Yeah, he is more than fed up. Okay. Excellent. And Does it kind of remind you of the Nebuchadnezzar story when God had spoke to him and told him that he needed to confess that God was most high? Had God warned um, Nebuchadnezzar that there was a judgment coming if he did not confess that God was most high? He did. He spoke through uh, Daniel. Do you remember how long it was until God brought the judgment on him? A A year later. A year later, he's walking on the roof of the palace, and he makes this proclamation about what? What does he say? Oh, God, you're so good. Look at what you've yeah. done. <laughs> you've just blessed me. I am so thankful. I'm just your humble servant, right? No. <laughs> oh, no. He says, look at... Th- I, I still always relate. My brain always goes back to that Shenandoah movie with Jimmy Stewart where he sits at the table and gives that prayer and says, we thank you, Lord, for the food on the table that we, that we planted with the sweat of our own brows and how we, and we harvested and we brought in. But, Lord, we thank you just the same. And I, was just, I always laugh when I hear that because this is before he has this journey in the storyline where he, you see his heart softening towards God. This is the same storyline. We see these elders. God has said to them, I see your heart. You've set your idols up. He, s- he said earlier, uh, it's because of you that I'm about to depart from my temple, right? Yeah. And now here we are a year later, and apparently through the, the time of passing of time, have they repented? No. Apparently not. Isn't that an interesting little insight as you just kind of see the journey line, the storyline of what's going on with the elders who are who to the people? The leaders, they're their rulers. They're the ones who are making judicial judgments against people who would be lawbreakers. What law are we talking about? God's, God's law. How well do you think they know God's law then? Not very well. well, obviously they don't really know God's law, but technically do they know God's law? absolutely they have been trained in it these are the ones who this is basically this is their assigned role in life it's kind of like your teachers in your churches do you think they should be abiding by the by the laws of god if if they're willing to teach the laws of god yes. the teacher of all people is held to a higher accountability not because god judges them greater than any other man we're all equal in that but he 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 basically rules upon us based upon the knowledge that we have. The teachers have a lot of knowledge, don't they? Ooh, that's a scary thought, isn't it? And so as you and I are um, being trained up in the way that we are right here, who was I talking to that said they talked about um, precept? Uh, Becky. It was Becky. That she had had a conversation a couple of times this week where she's t- taken – her Bible study, to different places, and two different encounters where people said, oh, you're doing Bible study, right? They, they're significant, and not just Bible study, precept Bible study. Yeah. They know that form of study, and it's discipline, and it's kind of recognized. Well, th- it's kind of the same thing. These people know, the elders were to know, and they were not doing what they knew, they had been trained, but they were not doing. So, therefore, then the gods, God has said to them here in the opening of this, I will not be inquired of by you. Because why? Their hearts were still not repentant, apparently, right? could you give explanation right right, and you know what's amazing about that whole thing is you would think that sounds like an innocent quest does wouldn't you? But the thing is is what had they already been told by Jeremiah and by Ezekiel for seventy years you're going to be in this captivity, you need to just go with it right, go and plant and settle in and. yes stay on your land and even have your own right you just have to be as, you know, as a servant of, of Nebuchadnezzar that's right and, and, and i will bless you and i and if you will pray for that king i will even bless that king and his kingdom so that you will be blessed right yeah yeah so if you have a, if you have a sense that oh well this is a good thing that the elders were coming to the to the uh, the priest to the prophet uh, uh, Ezekiel. They they were their hearts must have been turning, their hearts must have been seeking God, right? No, no, no. <laughs> <seeking> Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and during those 70 years, too, you got to remember, what was God doing during those 70 years concerning those who had been previously in that temple and defiled it in the manner that they did? Yeah, he was doing basically the same thing he did to them in the wilderness. How many years were they made to wander in the wilderness? Forty years. Forty years until what happened? that generation had passed away. And in this case he had a he had a 70-year designation primarily because of the sabbaths that had been broken as Diane brought up earlier, but also I believe to again do the same thing, purge from their midst those who were most guilty concerning the temple uh affronts, the the abominations, right? To the land and to the temple. And so, yeah. But Oh, oh. <laughs> all these other voices out there telling them, No, oh, we're going to go back to Babylon. No, so I think to myself, Well, I would want to believe the better news. Yes, so, but then I thought, So can we blame them so much? Well, but yes, we can because God waited so long that the people that were telling the truth were proven to, were be, proven true. to be true, right? Right. That's right. And as a matter of fact, those false prophets had already been mostly been proven wrong because of the first two sieges where God was doing exactly what he had already said. And so they were preaching peace, peace, even in the days of Jeremiah before the first siege. Jeremiah was saying, this is coming because if you don't repent, God is going to judge. And they wouldn't repent. No, and they didn't believe him. But guess whose prophecies came true? Jeremiah, not the, not the ones who were the the, you know, the lollipop on Sunday morning kind of singers, they were, they were saying, it's all going to be fine, don't, don't worry about it, it's, you know, it's going to pass because we're God's people and, and we're blessed, yes. that's the same thing that's happening today, though, yes. when they say they stay alive long enough, people believe it. That so is so true. the same thing, and I can
1: see in our generation it's the same way, no one wants to hear the preacher that says there's repercussions for your actions,
0: right. you've got to repent, you have to, there's one right. way, there's one way. It, it well you know it it's ve- it is very true do do people want to hear the truth when the truth is hard and it means that they have to repent and turn no they do- apparently we don't and you know what i would challenge us in this room to do is that we ourselves would really uh, t- uh take some uh, steps to examine our own hearts. I mean, the scripture is really clear on that. It talks about in 1 Corinthians 11 that even before you take up the Lord's Supper that you're to examine your hearts to make sure that you're honoring the covenant of the new covenant that you are in with God. Um, I don't want to ever be guilty of not listening to people when they come to me with rebukes or instructions or or even just help, but the help feels like, you know, an attack, Rather than feeling like it's an attack, what I need to do is say, wow, does God say this? And am I actually doing that? Instead of immediately jumping to a defensive mode where we step back and and resist the things that God is bringing into our lives, through people who we know love us, especially, but even through the naysayer, I think about the storyline of David. Do you remember when David got bad news? Yeah. I'm trying to remember now he was going um oh and the guy came to him and he called him a dog and his his uh soldiers wanted to kill the man for saying this and he said no don't touch him how how do I know if that's not god re- rebuking me so he wouldn't even touch the one who was bringing him this re- affront or this this condemnation mm-hmm Was it? Oh my gosh, I missed I missed the story. See, I'm I'm sorry, Rob, I missed your sermon. (laughs) If you're listening. But oh my gosh, that's yeah, I'll have to I know, I'll have to go back and listen to it. Well that's cool. So see, I even brought it in and didn't know it. That's the Lord. He's so good. All right. the Lord kept
1: telling these elders that they were whitewashed on the outside, looking good, but they had terrible dirty hearts.
0: Yes. Yes. So I I just think it's interesting that um, for you and I, as we're reading through passages like this, something like. The elders coming to the prophet to hear from the Lord sounds like a good thing. Sounds like these guys are getting it right. They've repented. They understand that they're in the midst of judgment. They've actually bowed their knee. It sounds like that, but the reality is no, because God stands stands there speaking through his prophet and says, "There's idols set up in your hearts. Repent." And then when they a year later they come back and God says, "No, don't even come. Don't even. I won't even be inquired." of by you. Yeah. 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 Speak. Yeah. Speak to the hand. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Read it. Okay. No, I love it. That's great.
1: For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator
0: blessed forever. Wow. Okay, now hang on to that thought. That Romans chapter 1, by the way, applies later also in, in another verse that we're going to be looking at. So don't let me forget that you brought that one up, but that is exactly right. What we see, though, is these men have been trained. They knew the glory of God. They knew the correct worship of God, and yet they went to To worshiping the creation rather than the creator, which is what we saw in that vision of the deeds that they were doing at the temple of, you know, of, of birds and of animals and so forth on the walls. And, you know, yeah, that's exactly what they were doing. Okay. So we see that he is saying now to the, in the storyline here, even in exile, it seems that many are not repenting. Amazing. So is it any wonder that God is going to bring this third siege yet? even in their exile, I'm, I'm just shocked. I guess I never saw that part of the storyline before, and so I'm just blown away. I would have assumed, and I did assume in my mind, that those in exile had finally learned their lesson, and were going, oh, wow, we have got to, we need to toe the line here. We need to train up our kids better. It is it's more fundamental, I think. Okay. Uh,
1: Don can help you on that, but he went through the study of Moses. Uh-huh.
0: Mm-hmm. From day 1 when you go back Yes. No, they got yeah. Out of ex- they for 3 days and I know. Yes. I know you're <laughs> so uh, true. To go back to yes. 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 You're right. Three days. You're absolutely right. It's only 3 days. You're right. Right. Well, and what it It shows is they don't really believe God either. No, they don't. Yeah. They no. Exactly I think I do think that's a a really good point to bring up about Israel as a nation. When you're talking about a national covenant, it is distinctive, is it not, from that Abrahamic covenant? What is the distinctive difference that Hines is bringing up here? What did Abraham do when he heard what God said? He believed believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And you saw it through most of his behavior. Although he was not a perfect man, he still was a a man who, who obeyed God and uh, uh made most of his life in a way which was righteous i mean he walked after god's ways but then israel as a nation they entered in a covenant you're right on on the third day when moses was still up on the mountain receiving the the 10 commandments they made a golden calf. <laughs> they made a golden calf yeah unbelievable i know we did the same thing yes. yeah you're right you're right that's exactly right, Heinz. You're absolutely... That was kind of what I was trying to draw us to earlier with some personal application in this. I mean, it's so easy to, to say, well, that's them, you know. Well, but we need... Yeah, but we need to say to our own selves, have we set up idols in our heart? Are we honoring God? And are we receiving rebukes? When, when a Jeremiah, whoever he might be in your life, comes and makes a rebuke to you and says, you, you are doing this, and it is wrong, Right? Do we push back from that or do we say, let me, in my mind, let me pray about this? We, we, the oh, it's so negative. Yeah. Don't right. Even in the church, too, another thing that's important to remember is in the church, there are the, the prophets. These are the, those whose job it is to watch over the household of faith. That is their really assigned role by God. And when they see people coming in and beginning to teach or to serve in various capacities, but they see something is off and they make a comment, I think something's wrong here. I'm not sure I'm, 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 I think something's wrong here. And this is what I see is fundamentally wrong. When you receive, when you get a rebuke or when you get a warning about something that's off, do you automatically reject them because they're not giving the good news you want to hear? They're not tickling your ears. They're not singing the party line. I think about the 70 elders who were before the temple, and they all just jumped on the bandwagon. Instead of someone standing up and saying, whoa, wait a minute, right? But instead, they just... If, if you're not getting answers from God, maybe you need to look at your own heart. Are there idols in your own heart? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a good, and of course, this leads us into a great opportunity for even a study about prayer and answered prayer and when God hears us and when he doesn't. And I I think even today opened up this big bucket of, of possibilities to look at about our relationship with God and how he deals with us here as a nation, but also independently, because we looked at how he dealt with Cyrus. We look at, we see how he's been dealing with these men, specifically these elders who are coming to Ezekiel. And he's speaking a word to them directly and saying, repent and turn. I see the idols in your heart. Even though they're in this exile, they're still not learning. Are we in an exile in our personal lives in any way? Is there something going on in our lives that Um, we feel like the Lord is just not blessing like he usually does. And we know the blessings of God when we see them and feel them, right? But when God stops blessing, why? We need to question, what's going on in my life? Is there something, Lord, I need to make a correction on? Is there a repentance that needs to be taking place in my personal life and in my walk? Um, And if not, then good. But you do need to examine. It may be that you don't, but if you do and you recognize it, fix it, right? Yeah. That's what God wants. He, wants. he wants us to make it right. Okay, let's go into chapter 20 now. Before we go any further here, I want to talk about key words. What kind of key words did you see in chapter 20? Because when you, Pardon? my name okay for the sake of my name correct this he's going to act for the sake of his name it's a whole phrase and you should have marked every one of those Those are really significant in this book I'm sorry I couldn't hear you sign that's right there's that there's a sign okay inquire good Yes, profaning, or, or anything that has along the, lines, along the lines of abominations, iniquity, profaning, right. I love that. There are two kind of significant um, geographical locations that are given. One is the wilderness, and what was the other one before it? Egypt. Egypt, right. So you have Egypt and the wilderness, and those are significant because what they show is a progression of time with God amongst his people, right, of his dealing with them in these locations, all right. Any others? I swore to them. All right. Swore. I do like that. That's, a, that's a, What is the word swore actually a synonym to in this book? Covenant. Thank you. Good. So if you marked it, it should have been marked in the same way that you marked the word covenant, the, the idea that he made a, a, a vow to them or an oath or he swore, has made a swearing to them. All right, all right, so now the other thing that I saw in Ezekiel 20 were lots of contrasts. Wow, I mean... So idols were in here a lot. Yes, idols is another one, you're right. Concerning their idols then... As you, he opens with the, uh, the, uh, the elders coming and, sa- and trying to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord says, Do you come to inquire of me as I live, declares the Lord. How emphatic is that statement? As I live, declares the Lord, I will not be inquired of by you. Now that is, a, that is wow, a very direct, harsh indictment on them. But he says to Ezekiel that he is to do what at this point with them? Okay, Ezekiel, now I want them to know something. What does he want them to know? The abominations of the fathers. Yeah. So Ezekiel is, to, is told to make known to them the abominations of the fathers, right? Okay, I'm, to, I'm trying to get this whole thing up here because this was kind of the opening statement. He says, make known to them the abominations of the Father. So, and when you get to the very end of this, what he concludes about them in 31 is, what have the Fathers done that they are also doing? What have they done? And go, Drop down to verse 31 in chapter 20 and look to see what the statement is there. They've defiled themselves. That's right. Yeah. He says you defile yourselves, right? With your gifts and your idols. Right. So there's that word idols again that you mentioned, right? Okay, so you defile yourselves, and and then he says, as your fathers did, right? Right. So he's making a a, a statement that basically they're no better. Then he goes through and he says, these are the things that the fathers did. So you tell me, what are some of the points about what the fathers did? Go through, just go through and pick out all of your sin kind of markings, the things that they did that they were not supposed to be doing. Okay, so they rebelled. (laughs) <laughs> they rebelled that was a huge one they did not i love this one this one caught my eye because thinking about the timeline of where they were that they had just been brought out of egypt and when they first got out of egypt this is what we said earlier they're they at mount sinai they're about to get these 10 commandments moses is up there receiving the the law from god and while he's gone what do they do They cast a a golden calf. And I think God had just told them, cast off these idols. And still, what did they do? They casted their own new one. (laughs) So um, they did not cast off their idols, as I told them, basically, is what he's saying there. Um. Wow. Yeah, so there's the idolatry again. More, more pictures of that. And very interestingly, when you look at the earlier parts of what God had told them is how are they to train up their children that they were now putting through the fire to these foreign gods? What had God told them to do concerning their children? That's it. Write their laws on their hearts, on their foreheads. He says, talk about me to them when you, when you sit down and when you rise up and when you walk along the path. That was in Deuteronomy, right? So they were literally doing the opposite. They were allowing their children, instead of being to be taught of by the Lord, they were giving their, their children over to these other idols, right, in their idolatry. Um, what about concerning statutes and so forth? In verse 13, what did they not do? Yeah. So they did not. (laughs) Oh, big time! They did. They did not walk in my statutes. And they profaned my Sabbath. That is very good. I like this one though. What is the uh, adjective in front of that they profaned? They greatly. (laughs) I That caught my attention, and I don't know if it's all that important or not, but it caught my attention, and I thought, wow. They didn't just profane it. They greatly profaned it. Okay, they greatly profaned my Sabbath. So let's talk about those um, key words in there. Kay asked you a couple of questions about what you learned concerning those things. Did anybody do word studies on these words, Sabbath and ordinance and statutes? If you didn't, it's probably not it's not like they they were ahas. I think everybody kind of knows what they are. You tell me, what is a statute? A commandment, a commandment or a law, right? It's a decree, right? Uh, even a regulation. Actually, there's a synonym in the word study on it. It says ordinance, and then that's the next word, ordinance. So it's almost like statutes and ordinance are, are synonyms to one another. So yeah, Boy, did they. they. They totally ignored what God gave to them as a law for their people upon the land. Leviticus was quite eye-opening for, to me in that it just showed me how God expected them to live upon the land as a nation. It showed the order and the structure, the, the, the common everyday occurrences, the things that were supposed to happen in their daily life and living. And why do you think God called them with statutes and ordinances like this? Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> you know. well. first of all, we're not set up to do it, well, but right. if no, we, so we were, so he yeah. He was doing it as an exercise. Yes, of course. See, like, why did God, like you were asking, why
1: did God do this? And then they're, you know, the students were saying things like, well, you know, I've only got one pair of pants that's only made out of one fiber, mm-hmm. and so they're constantly thinking about, "Gosh, i got to follow this law and this law and this law, but then it's also getting them to think about, okay, God is holy and this is. There the, it you go. You
0: yes. It, it affects every area right. Of okay. It's it's a complete submission right. to the authority of God the Father in your life by having to live in that way. And every single thing you do reminds you of that relationship right. with God. Right. And in reality, if we did do that for just one week, we might actually refine Our personal walk with God, not that God expects us to live legalistically in any way, but sometimes those kinds of exercises are good disciplines to help refresh in you your spiritual relationship with God. So, very interesting. Someone, oh, yeah, Yivian. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, I think what I loved about what Jesus did was he boiled it down to two, to, in these two things, the whole law and the prophet is fulfilled, because the point to God's laws was not to regulate people down so legalistically. His point was to help show them holiness, right? Um, and, and to teach them to focus upon God himself, be submitted to God the Father. When, when he gave them their
1: laws, he said, and when you don't,
0: and we, I'm, yeah. I'm Yes, yes. I
1: mean, that was way back
0: in the wilderness. You know, I, I thought that that was, was a really good insight when when it shows you that the first thing God does is he gives the law, and the very next chapter in the book, he gives them the tabernacle. If you didn't notice that that's the order that it happens in, it's pretty profound when you go back and just make a note in your Bible about it. He gave them the law, but what did he do when he, follow, he followed the very next thing? Give them a tabernacle. Why? That's right, because he knew they wouldn't be able to keep the law. So he gave them a, a means of atonement immediately on the heels of those, those laws. I know you won't be able to do this fully, and so here's my atonement for you. And we talked about, when we looked at um, the various purposes for the law, what is some of the purposes for the law itself in the New Testament? What are we told? Its purpose is to do what? To be a tutor to lead us to Christ, that we would see the Christ through the tabernacle symbolically, right? And that it would reveal what? would reveal sin to us, that we would see what God expects as righteousness versus what we tend to do, right? Our default button. mm hmm Yes. Okay, so he said, you greatly, you did not walk in my statues and you, you greatly profaned my Sabbath. And so God had told him about those things that they were to sanctify God's Sabbath. So what does it mean to sanctify? Set apart. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I, I thought it was cool that he says, he said, um, I sanctify you, now you need to sanctify my, my laws, right? So sanctifying means to set them apart or to elevate them as holy. Right? To acknowledge them as, as holy. And then he told us in verse 20 that the, one of the other reasons for the law was that it was to be a sign. There's that word sign that, that Lisa brought up earlier. The Sabbaths were a sign. Yeah, they
1: didn't
0: even heal the right. So they
1: just
0: went overboard the other day. It was ridiculous, wasn't it? it was the rails, you know? Yes. They and do it. And the next time a well, yeah, and of course, certainly we know that the ones who wanted to made a way of even getting around what they didn't want. Do you remember the one about the about not honoring the mother and father by calling their gifts that should have gone to the parents korban under. No, but that was another way of breaking the laws and making it work to their favor. And that is exactly what they did. Okay, so the Sabbaths were supposed to be a sign between God and them, right? Yes. That they may know what? I love that statement. That you may know that? I am the Lord <laughs> in verse 20. Okay, so we see that the purpose to the, the statutes and the Sabbaths, it was a sign. And by not honoring the sign or keeping the sign, you remember my, my little discussion of several weeks, weeks back about retaining the standard? right? That we must retain the standard of sound doctrine. In this case, he's saying you need to retain the standard, the sign, because it is a sign between you and me. When you profane it, you destroy the relationship image, right? Of who we are, uh, who you are in relationship to me and who I am to you. In this sign, you will know that I am the Lord. I really see that as a contrast to, and you're not. (laughs) <laughs> right? He's really saying, and look, and you're not, I am the Lord. So you are to do these statutes and keep my Sabbath. And he said to them in verse 21 what would happen if they would observe them?
1: You're going to have a wrath, it's going to be against them.
0: Yes, but if they observe these uh, Sabbaths, they will live. Now, what kind of living are you thinking is, this is talking about? Yeah, I think this is talking on a spirit. I think this is really speaking of a spiritual life that they would be giving. Certainly, it also can be taken as a literal thing because at the point where we are in history, they're going to be, loo- some of them are going to be losing their very life, right? But here he's saying, if you will obey these Sabbaths and keep my statutes and keep my ordinances, these are a sign between you and me that I am the Lord. And he says, but and if you observe these things, you will live. Okay, so then what happens after that? He is talking to all these people and and he's, and they have, cast aw- they have not cast away their idols. They have rebelled against him. They do not keep those statutes, right? So they're profaning his Sabbath. And, then, and, and that was the first generation, right? The ones out of Egypt and when they first got into the wilderness. But then what followed that, starting in verse 18, 19, it might have been a little bit before that, but what happened then? Yeah, their children did the same thing. So I I gave myself a a little then, their children. So he's giving him a a recount. This is what your fathers did. They did all these things, and then their children also. Did not walk in my ways. Or in my ordinance. Well, and that's the point. He's saying, it isn't like it was just one generation that I was trying to turn them from Egypt's ways and the world's ways and these pagan nations' ways. Even though I did all these great things, even though I showed myself to this nation in a very profound way, and he did through mighty wonders, remember, and with an outstretched uh, hand, he brought them out of their captivity. Even though he did all these things, I think about you know, the Passover, the fact that he uh, took the firstborn as that last plague. You know, and yet all these things did not turn their hearts to God. They did not see the power and the awesomeness of their God. And then their children did not either. And with Judah,
1: every time there was a good king, it was the king who led them to keep God's ordinances. It was never driven by the
0: people. Yeah. So as soon as the They just went rampant, yeah, right, yes, it feels like, you know, with this nation that even though there were glimmers of some good, even in, even with the some good, there's some bad, because you look at David's life, and he, he did a lot of good things, but he also had some things that he didn't do so well, but... Ah, uh, I was wondering, you know, I could have almost batted that that was going to come from you. A good question. <laughs> Very good question, Carol. She's good at this. She always finds those little quirky ones. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that one too. Uh, this one is going to fall in line with what I had said earlier. So uh, about what um, Diane brought up in Romans chapter one, right? He's Yes. So, it is,
1: you can't do it, i going to do it. But, you know, now you come over here and say, I gave you these, these
0: orders that you can't keep. So, you got to rely on me to it. Right. So to it. Well, that's true, too. I hadn't even thought of that. That's a good tie-in. I like the way you pulled that back around. Okay. So, w- at the place where we're at right now in this uh, chart, we see that he is giving them basically a history lesson of when he brought them out of Egypt and when they were in the wilderness and how they didn't they didn't really obey God they did not put off the idols that they were supposed to put off right and then their children didn't do it either right. even though God kept being pa- patient with them i think it's really interesting cuz he says he warns them throughout all of this i'm going to scatter you i'm going to cast you off the land right but he didn't he says but i did not i did not treat them as their sins des- deserved right but I, instead, I acted how? For what sake? Yeah. For the sake of my name. Now, this one is really interesting because it's going to take us to where Carol just asked her question. I didn't forget about you, Carol. <laughs> okay, let's first tie in what it is that he, he did do for them. He said, I acted for my name's sake. What did he do? I'll say it again he was going to pour out his wrath and yes he his hand again. oh yeah, I love that verse twenty two but instead <laughs> I withdrew my hand. that was one of the the things that he did instead of doing to them what they deserved, right I withdrew my hand in verse twenty two um I think it's, go back, all the way back to verses 10 and 11, and what did he do there instead of judging them? I mean, what should he have done to Israel when in Egypt they were still being rebellious? He should have just left them there, because really, that's what they deserved, is it not? But he said he didn't. Instead, what did he do? Instead, he brought them out anyway. Yes, there you go. He brought them out of Egypt anyway. That's right. So there's that key repeated phrase and you see that three times I think it was 9 um 912 and there was another one. 914 and 22. Right, nine, fourteen, and twenty-two. He says it three different times. So there are three different places where you can go in and dig out. He should have judged them, but what did he do instead? You see these blessings. I brought them out of Egypt. Instead, I withdrew my hand. Um, he says of them in verse seventeen. What did he do? Sa- I'm sorry, I can't hear it. it. Yeah, he- I spared them uh, rather than. Destroying them. I love that. Rather than destroying them. In 17. Okay. I also... And then that's when this statement comes in that Carol has brought up. He said, I also... I'm putting that word also in there. Okay. I also gave them... Statutes that were not good and ordinances by which they could not live. Now, this is an interesting little thing. I also gave them statutes. I'm going to get this whole thing on here. That were not good. And ordinances... By which they could not live. So this is this one was a little bit confusing to me when I first took a look at it. But I want you to drop into verse twenty-five because in the you have to kind of keep going with the flow of conversation here. And as God is talking to them, anytime you see the therefores and for this reason and buts and fours, right? So drop into thirty-nine. And he says, um, and as for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. Because he's talking about how he doesn't want to be inquired of them. His wrath is going to be poured out on them. Um, He says, but I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you. So he's giving uh, uh, a word of hope. But he's saying that, but before I do that, I'm going to do what? What is he going to do in verse 33 to 38 concerning these rebels? Those that, those that rebel. Huh? Yeah, he's going to judge them. And then, uh, l- let me see in verse 30. He says, um, I will purge you, from you the rebels, right? So he actually says to them, you know, you're doing all these things. You've done all these evil things. You have defiled yourselves in verse 27 to 32. You defiled yourselves as your fathers did, playing the harlot, right? So after that, he says in 33 to 38, but I will purge the rebels and they will not enter what? The land. Now, this is, this is really interesting because then he follows it in 39. He says, but as for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go, do what? Whoa, that's interesting. Now, why would God say, okay, just go, go, go do your idols. Well, that's yeah. true. Very good. Now we're back to our Romans. What does God do to a man who will not be disciplined by the Lord? When God sends his prophets, when God teaches him, yes, he eventually he just gives them over. To the, to the deceitfulness and the wantingness of their own dark heart. And so that is exactly what Romans teaches, but it also teaches it right here in this book. He says to me in 39, there's a contrast. I'm going to go over to this next board. He said, I also gave them statues that were not good. So I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to show you. He says, he tells them, go uh, serve your idols. Then there's a contrast statement, right? But later, do you see the word later in there? There's a clock because it's giving you a time reference. But later, what's going to happen? I ah, then, then you will listen. surely listen to me. Now, what is that talking about? What is he saying they're going to do? They're going to listen to me, meaning what? Mm. All right. So can you, do you think you can go back to 39 and draw it down into that, the fact that he's going to, they're going to listen to him? And what is he going to be then? For right now, he's saying, yeah, fine, go, go, serve your idols. But one day later, you're going to listen to me. And what am I going to be for you? Yes. And in verse 33, I am going to be what? <clears throat> yeah. I shall, then you will surely listen to me, and then I will be king over you. Like a future statement. This is a, a later than statement, right? But later, then you will surely listen to me. I will be king over you. Now, you tell me, has that been accomplished yet? So, what time frame are we talking about in these passages right here, these few verses? That's talking about the millennial kingdom in the future, yet. Although God did make some partial fulfillments of some of these things for Israel, in part, He brought them back, for instance, after their Babylonian time in, in their captivity. But has He become the king over Israel? Not yet. Uh, Well, certainly we know the king who will literally come will be Jesus himself. Uh, But through Jesus, who will be king is the Lord God also. So I think that's, I know, without splitting the hairs, it's Jesus and God both. But yes, Jesus literally will be the, the king. No, we can't always tell one thing. I mean, for for sure, what we can never do is dissect God from Jesus and the Spirit. They're all three in one. Uh, To worship one is to worship them all if you're doing them in truth, right? Through the the fullness of your understanding. Um, But in the context here, what had God always wanted concerning a king for Israel? No, he didn't want a human king, did he? He wanted to be their king. He always wanted to be their king. And through the prophetic um, covenants that he made, even like, for instance, with David and with Abraham, you can go all the way back to Abraham, God promised a seed one day that would come to crush the head of Satan. Then he promised David that upon the throne would sit a descendant forever. Right. So we see God promising a king to come. A king who would be both ruler, crusher and destroyer of evil and of Satan, and who would rule over the people forever, right? So here he says in 33, you know, go ahead, you go, go serve your idols in 39, but later, then you will surely listen to me. And 33, he had already just said, I will be king over you. One day, I will be king over you. So what does he say in 39 about... um, in that day, when he is king over them, what? What will they do? They will serve everyone his idols. But later you will surely listen to me in my holy name. You will profane no longer okay. your gifts. Okay, so in that day, later you will profane my name no longer, right? All of you will serve me. There you go. You will profane my name. No longer. And that's in in, uh, 39. And then he says, and you will all. You, Israel, all of them. Now there's that, and all Israel will be saved statement, right? Who did we see last week was all Israel who will be saved? Those who in the end time will come and repent. How do we get to that place of all Israel believing in the end times? What does God do in order to accomplish that? How many pass away? Two-thirds of Israel will be destroyed in that day. One-third of those that are living will bow their knee. And in that, and in that statement, we see then Romans will be fulfilled. In Romans chapter 20, is it 24 to 27, 28, 29, somewhere in there. It says that all Israel shall be saved. And he says, my, my promises, my covenants are irrevocable. That God will accomplish his word. So he says, You, all of them, will serve me. And also there's a remnant. That's the remnant we're talking about. The one third who come through are the remnant. That's exactly right. You will serve me, and where will you serve me? Wow. Yeah, the high mountain of Israel. And I misspelled Israel. I do know how to spell it. I just got too big of a hurry. <laughs> I forgot the E. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, okay, so that's in verse 40. So says, and, then, and at that time, what is going to make them come to a place where God will be their king? And they will listen to him, and what is it that they're going to do in verse forty in order for that to ha- occur? And it lines up with what we just talked about in, about what we saw in Zechariah.
1: Well, he's gonna accept
0: them. Yeah, and why is he gonna accept them? Because they're gonna do what? They're gonna seek... oh, serve, yes.
1: serve him in
0: the land. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, go to forty three. So sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was my fault. I led you wrong. That's right. They're good. Basically, they're going to repent. In a word, they will repent in that day. They it says that you will remember your ways and you will loathe yourselves for all the evil that you have done, right? You will remember and repent. And I th- I'm that's in Katie's own words there. So, f- directly from the text, it's very long, so you can take it out of the text out of 43. And he says, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So Kay asked us on one of the day's homework to, to make a list of the things that were going to happen in that day. When, then you will know that I am the Lord. What, is, what are the specific events that are going to happen that we will know that he is the Lord when it happens? What is he going to do for them? Yes? Yes? But accepting them is not something they're going to look at and say, oh, yes, I will know that he is the Lord. What, is, what are they going to see that he will have done? And, yeah. What do we see God doing right now in history? Is God beginning to do that already? Apparently, though, there's going to come a, a point in history when there's a real fullness of this. There's, some kind of, there's going to be some kind of historical movement in our world affairs, which is going to cause many, many more Jews, even yet, to return back to Israel. And and then upon the landing, God will again, in those last seven years, that that last week, Daniel's 70th week, as we call it, God is going to deal with them to purge the rebels from their midst. That's what he says here in this passage, and I will purge the rebels from our midst. And he said then uh, and then you will surely, but later you go ahead, go for now, serve your idols, but 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 later you will surely listen to me, so Carol, back to your question about well then, what is he saying about giving them these ordinances? Now, what we need to say is, well, what does he mean by the fact that he gave them to them, right? What did we learn when we looked at Jeremiah 27, Daniel 4, Isaiah 45, and Second Chronicles 36? That was on your day, I think it was 4 and 5, or it may have been just 5, but I think it was 4 and 5. <laughs> yeah, okay. We don't have time to do it uh, thoroughly, but I would love to make just as what I call an analytical list. We could go through and try to pick out every point and make a long, thorough list, which I actually did in my private time. But what I want to do right now is for you to just by remembrance pull back what you saw as you looked at that unfolding story of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's vision and how God dealt with him. What you saw in his Isaiah concerning King Cyrus, right? That he had been uh, named by Isaiah. When in history did Isaiah mention Cyrus's name? How far before Cyrus's birth was that? Like 150 to 175. Some some commentaries vary on that, but 150 years is the common uh, time frame. What we learn about God then in Jeremiah 27 um, it was what? What do we we see? that God, he, It says He created the earth, the men, the beasts which are on the face of the earth. All things on the face of the earth are there by his great power, by his outstretched arm. He will give it to the one who is pleasing in his sight. He gave him the lands that he conquered, and he determines the kings of nations, and the duration of, of their rule is set by him. So what do we learn about the Lord in all this? He's sovereign. Okay, what else do we see when we looked at those passages? What did you see about God? Did you take time to kind of pay attention to what am I seeing about who my God is when it comes to history? Okay, He's He is He raises them up. Yes, I think that one was very interest was very very interesting because even those who who are not call do not call on My name. He says that of Cyrus, doesn't he, in, for, in 44 or 45, I can't remember which one it was, that, but that even though he didn't know me, still I, I anointed him as the king. He said, I anointed ki- uh, Cyrus to subdue the nations. I called Cyrus by name. This is 150 years before his birth. Um, I'm looking for where it said, hold on, I'm looking to see where, where the verse is that says he didn't know me. 45.4, thank you. 45 verse 4, for the sake of Jacob my servant and Israel my chosen one, I have also called you by your name and given you a title of honor though you have not known me. I saw. I, I told you a couple weeks ago, I think I, I was telling you that H.J. and I watched a, a video of uh, Daniel. And in there, it shows Daniel having a conversation with King Cyrus and showing to him the prophecy of Isaiah about the fact that he, by name, was mentioned and that he would be the king who would let the Israelites go back and rebuild their temple. And I just, I just thought, that had to be a moment. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on a wall? When Cyrus saw him reading from the sc- ancient scrolls and his name was mentioned, that he was the king, and he was the king at the time in history when Israel would be allowed to go back. Blow you away. And if he didn't know him before, what? He should at that point. Now, whether he did or not, I don't know, but he should, right? So we see that then in this case, he's all-knowing, right? Right? And concerning man, what does he know? He knows man when before he is conceived, right? Even before he is conceived in the womb, he knows man. He knows them by name. He knows man before he's conceived by name. Wow! And by, not only does he know him before he's conceived and uh, by name, what does he do for him? What did he do concerning uh, Cyrus? Yes. To 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 let the people go. And he said of Cyrus in verse 1 of 45 that he anointed him, right, to be that king. So he was anointed as king. Isaiah 45. It was called Daniel, and it's on Roku. It's just on the free re- TV station right now. Ro- you know what Roku is? It's on Netflix. Netflix. Ne- oh, Netflix. Okay, sorry. It says Roku on my TV. That's the device that gets you there. Okay. Thank you, I'm so glad you, see I know nothing about electronics, see there you go, this is why you don't want me to ever do your computer work for you, because I know nothing about computers, and I still, we've had this TV for 20 years, I still know how to use it, it's crazy, anyway, but I also don't watch TV very much, so that tells you what I know, okay, so it's on Netflix, and it's free, and it's just called Daniel, Daniel, that's it, yeah. It was pretty easy. My husband found it, and we watched parts of it. It wasn't too bad. It was kind of, It's not a s- super good theatrical high-end movie, but it was very accurate. Everything that I saw, I really was right on. I think Cyrus uh, Cyrus. Yes, he did. He was called the, my, my Shepherd Cyrus. That's right. It very absolutely. Uh, yes. Oh, that's cool. So Nebuchadnezzar was his servant, and he was his shepherd. That's interesting. Very good. Uh, uh, pick up on that, yeah. So he knows us before we're created in the womb. He's sovereign. He's king of kings, or in this case, he rises up kings and puts down kings. So he is king of kings. What else do you know about him? Pardon? Okay, so he foils plans. In other words, he is, um, let's see, how would we put that then? He foils plans. Um, yeah, again, then we're back to sovereignty then, right? His divine. How about he has a plan, a, de- a determined plan? He exercises his wrath against
1: iniquity.
0: Okay. So he's the judge. He's what? He's the Lord God of heaven, Jehovah Elohim. El Jehovah Elohim, exactly. So so the, the Jehovah is the Lord. Elohim is the creator, right? God the God, the only God, right? Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we got you. We got in the right place. So he's merciful. And along with that, patient, compassionate, long suffering, merciful, patient, long suffering. Thank you. We finally got some of the good stuff in here. I like that one. Yes, they are. M- compassionate, long suffering. Merciful, patient. I like the idea, too, that we saw that he can send visions and dreams in order to both reveal himself to man and also so that man will know things about the future to give them wisdom and insight. So God can. Do you believe God can do that today? Yes. Yes, absolutely. That he can give visions and dreams to people today for his design purposes, right? We've got to be careful that we filter that, but yes. Oh, there you go. Righteous and holy. But gives him the right, to judge and holy. right. Therefore, he, judge. he judges. And, he, and as a matter of fact, not only, not only can he judge, but must he judge in order to remain holy. Amen. Absolutely. He must judge in order to remain that holy God. Uh, therefore, he judges. So he's righteous and holy, and therefore he judges. Um, so, uh, you know, he speaks, and it's fulfilled. Yes? I know that this particular section that we did, he referred us to Isaiah 44, and if you haven't read Isaiah 44, it's an excellent idea of why God got so upset with Israel, the first part of it, because they themselves thought they were creating things that should be worshipped. Yes. And Mm-hmm. And that he asked them in return for the sign, which was on the Sabbath, recognize right. me. Right, me, because I am the one I who gave you God life, God. who did all this. Right, which is, takes us back to what Diane brought in Romans chapter uh, uh, 1, that says that, uh, bec- that you know, even though they knew me, then they, instead of worshiping me, they turned and began to, to worship the creator and the images of the, of the things in creation. God is funny. Which one is it? In Isaiah 44, he said, after he lays it all out to him and says, "I've created the heavens, the earth. I've done this, I've done this," and then he says, "Is there any God besides me?" And then he stops and he says, "I know of none." (laughs) No, and I'm modest. So we could put there, he's modest and he's truthful. (laughs) Oh I love he speaks and acts, and he's he's truthful he is truthful. Hey. Yeah. I read the book I, I, I said that this think against Oh yeah that's a those are mouthfuls. You need, would need an hour to explain those right? <laughs> <laughs> Say those words again. Monotheistic? Yeah mo- monotheistic verses? Pan, pan, Panathea. Right. That, that's why I said I can't even pronounce them, so that's why it would take a while to explain them. Okay. All right. Now, all right. So, Carol, did we address it well enough that what you see, at this point, knowing the attributes of God, which we looked at as we went through the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs and so forth, and Daniel. Knowing how sovereign God is. He's, he's not only sovereign, over he can give visions. He can make people sick, like he did in Nebuchadnezzar. Gave him a sick mind so that he would turn. I mean, God does all things for righteous purposes. Even if it looks bad, even the wrath he can bring, even the bad weather, even the catastrophes that can happen in the world around us. If they're brought by God, he brings them for good, right? Yes. All right, and sometimes God also allows us to go in our wayward way. And then in the end, he uses that to declare his glory to the world. I think about Pharaoh. When Pharaoh would not let them go, he finally, the last one was, he turned him over to a hardened heart, it says in scripture. He hardened his heart so that and that then he kills his son because he has a hardened heart. And it's like, wait a minute, first God hardens his heart and then he kills his son for doing that. And that looks like like a contrast, but what do we know when we look at the qualities of who our God is as he's dealt with us? What do we see? Okay. First of all, God is all-knowing, so he knows what you will or what, what you won't do. Right. Do. So what, when he said here... um I also gave them the, them statutes that were not good and ordinances by which they could not live, right? Mm-hmm. When he says, I gave those to them, what is he actually saying? Did he give them ordinances? Did he say, thou shalt go and worship false, uh, false no. idols? Did he say that? No. What does he mean then by this statement? Because you don't want to con... The rule in inductive processing in your brain is never violate known doctrine, right? So God is good. God is righteous, God is holy, God wants us to worship only him. Those are standards of principle of truth that you don't violate. So when you see a statement like this where it says that he gave them something that was not good, and he gave them ordinances by which they could not live, meaning they would perish, either perish in their sins or even physically perish, whichever, what does that mean?
1: Of their
0: sins. Who said it? I heard it. Free will. Free will. What he did was, he said, I also basically, I, it's exactly what Diane brought up. I I have given them over to their own hearts. He said, he said the contrast statement is in that verse uh, 39. Okay, fine. Go serve your idols. That's how he gave them these ordinances, which were not good. He let them because what should he have done to the people upon the land? And he just gave a rendition of it. What should he have done to them? He should have either left them in Egypt or destroyed them, right? right? But instead, he didn't. He kept doing what? Patience. He kept saying, I'm. And he did it for what reason? I think because he also raised another generation. He couldn't just kill them all and there'd be no. Remnant. Well, he could have. He could have, but what does he tell us is the reason he doesn't do it. The way that he acts, he acts for what? My name's sake. So what we know then is going on in here is God is saying, look, I could have destroyed you, Israel. I could have just wiped you off, or I could have just washed my hands of you and walked away. But for my name's sake, because at the heart of this relationship with Israel started with what? between him and Abraham, a covenant, right? He made a promise. Does he ever break his word? No. This would violate his character and who he is, right? He will not violate. He will not profane his own name. He will bring glory to himself. So he is going to keep that covenant in spite of them, right? He's going to use them even though they are s- stubborn-hearted, even though they are completely... Uh, depraved of mind even though they keep walking away even though they keep breaking and rebelling so he says to them fine go serve your idols fine I'm going to let you have those ordinances which are not going to give you life I'm going to let you have those things which are not even good for you but how long because he says then in verse 39 but later what I will be your king I, I you will listen to me so there's a contrast going on. This is where, Carol, contrasts. If you marked your contrast, you would really have benefited greatly in this particular chapter. Um, we see, hold on, let me get back there. Oh, I'm getting short on time. Um, Flow of thought, right? So now does it fit? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. hmm You know, and God knew that they weren't. there where you so they, they couldn't possibly keep God's laws but they can't keep the But you know what's interesting to me is what what follows twenty-five is twenty-six, right? Twenty-six. He says, I, I let them have those statutes which were not good and ordinances by which they could not live, and when I did that, I also pronounced them unclean. Why? Because they were sinning in them. There was sin in their doing of them." So he's really letting them know that the ordinances are really not good and the life that they're not going to have is eternal. It is a spiritual severing that's going to take place by him allowing them this. Uh, you know, I, I think in the flow there, he says, And therefore speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Uh, Yet in this house, your fathers have blasphemed me by acting treacherously against me. So these laws, these ordinances that he gave to them, in other words, he allowed them to participate, were treacherous. They were blasphemy and they made them unclean, but he let them have them. Yes, they wanted to be like the other nations, they, and the other nations were doing what? Referring, in, in reference to worship at that time. Mm-hmm. That's right, that's what Yinyin was saying, the, the polygamy that was all over, the, the polytheisms that were going on. Yes? Okay, what does he mean by that? Do, do we know of an, in, of an instance in history? Yes, Lisa. Ugh. Wasn't that Molech? Yes, it was, Molech. It. That's right. So there was Molech worship at that time, and they would literally put their babies upon the altar and burn them in the fire and sacrifice them. And what he's really saying here is, I should have judged you, but I let you have it. I even let you do that. I let you burn your babies in the fire. Rather than destroying you off the land. And I did that for my name's sake. Because I made a covenant that I would make you a people upon the land. And I am not going to violate my word. And I am not going to violate my character or, or the, all the things about me that are true. Even though you deserve it.
1: Yeah,
0: but he said if, if they continue, he was turning them over to Right, right. So it's really interesting. There's a big balance of things back and forth. On the one hand, I'm going to judge you. On the other hand, I'm not going to totally annihilate you Before my name's sake. I'm going to find a remnant that I will bring through all this. And one day, and that's what I loved about this, verse 39, but later, then you will surely listen to me. And when will that happen? That's going to be the day when they make a repentance. When they say that, that God, that they will no longer profane my name. All of them will serve God on that high holy mountain. We're talking about in the future, that one day that is what is going to happen. Yes. Isn't it amazing how history just keeps repeating itself? They just keep going through the same things over and over. And even, and you think about it. How long were they off the land this last time? 2,000 years. And they're only just now starting to come back on their land. And although, however, they're not really fully back upon their land. Are they fully, really allowed to even do anything they want without checking with the United Nations or someone else? Or the, or the United States president? They're not really ruling yet in the way that God wants them to rule. And they're certainly not keeping the ordinances of God in the way that they should. You know, think about the Temple Mount. To this day, who has a partial possession of the Temple Mount itself? Does Israel? No, the Muslims do. That's right. So we are not at this place where he says, But later, then, you will surely listen to me. I will be king over you. You will profane my name no longer. All of you will serve me in the land at the high holy mountain of God. You will remember your sins. You will loathe yourselves because of them, and there will be this repentance. And then I will make you my people, right? So that is all yet in the future. And that's what he's speaking of in those passages. Oh, that chapter 20 is just loaded with a mighty hand and outstretched arm and with wrath poured out i will be king over you wow if that's not the end times i don't know what is that's in verse verse 33 hey, yes I can't you have not yet uh, verse uh-oh Yes, into the bond of the covenant. Well, that's because we covered it for two weeks in a row, the covenant so much. But okay, in in 37, you said? Did everybody catch that, what Kathleen just brought up? And he says, and in that day, when I'm going to be doing these things, when I'm purging out the rebels of this land, he says, as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness... I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord, and then I will make you pass under the rod. Now, this is again talking about his rod of judgment, right? When two thirds will will fall and one third will come through, purged and refined, and I will bring you into what? The bond of covenant. What covenant is that speaking of then? The new covenant. So you might want to put a little red cross on that. That's speaking about the new covenant. The new covenant at the end when all Israel shall be saved. Now, they will not actually enter into that covenant until the day when all Israel is saved. Because this is speaking of a national covenant for the nation of Israel when they enter into the new covenant, each one, one by one, just as it says in Zechariah. Each one will mourn independently by themselves. And they will come into that faith. Oh, good. Wow, that's that's wow. That's putting a lot of words in one little sentence. There, it worked. It worked very nicely. Yeah, I really thought when we just looked at the lo- the characteristics of God, when we looked in those Jeremiah and Isaiah passages, looking at his his character and his attributes, gut, and that knowing that that is what governs how he's acting, and he says, "I'm acting for my namesake." Why? Because he made a covenant. Yeah that he was going to do a certain thing with this specific people group. And in order to accomplish that, he has to work even with this very rebellious people. And I think the bigger message in it, though, is we're just like them. Yeah, we, haven't we, are, we are not any different than Israel today. Most of us, even in this room, even though we love the Lord with all our hearts, there is so much rebellion in me that, I mean, I just want have my own way so often, and I forget the holiness of God and how I am representing him. So th- this is such a great opportunity to really reflect and, and not just, you know, step back and say, oh, that was them. Because as a matter of fact, is that not what this generation in the days of Ezekiel were doing? They were coming to Ezekiel to inquire of him as if they were innocent. And they were sitting there like, "Huh? well let's hear of th- let's hear from the Lord. Well, why aren't you hearing from the Lord? I will not be inquired of you, God said. You must repent wow it w- it's an amazing yeah yeah." he's the covenant God. It's personal. That's right. And that's what, that's what covenant is all about to becoming one, that intimacy of oneness. Um, all right. So 21, we're not going to really get, we got like four minutes to try to zip through here. Um, in essence, what do you see in 21? What is going on there then? He follows this very detailed chapter, about the fact that he will be acting for his name's sake. So, that your title should have something about that in it, right? In 21. So, in 22, then he says, okay, so now that you understand why I'm acting and how I'm acting, even though there's a lot of my patience, there's a lot of my long suffering as I have dealt with you, and I, I have never dealt with you as you deserved. You deserve to be wiped out. You deserve to be annihilated. You deserve to have been left back in Egypt. But I didn't act in that way. Instead, I did what I said I would do. And, he, and then he says in 21, then what? But now that you know I'm acting for my namesake, I'm also going to do what in 21? I, I have a sword. I have a sword I'm going to draw out. And what does he say about the sword? Who is his sword? Nebuchadnezzar is going to be his sword. So he, he actually has four signs. And so let me bring those four signs up just so that you get them the four signs that he has given. Did you catch them, everybody? What is the first sign that, that Ezekiel is supposed to give to, uh, as a sign to um, the people? What is he supposed to do in verse six? Groan. Groan in their sight. So that's the first sign, right, that he's to give them. And then he says, because why is he going to groan then? Because what's go- about to happen? Uh-huh. Because what? What's about to happen? A sword is coming. And when that sword comes, what's going to happen to all flesh? It's going to be cut off, right, in verse 4. Why a sword is coming, and I'm going to cut off all flesh. Then in verse 12, another sign. Now he tells him to do what? He, sa- he tells him to strike what? Strike your, thigh. strike your thigh. That's in verse 12. This one was in verse 6. Okay, strike your thigh. And symbolically, when he strikes his thigh, what is he saying to the people? And I think striking the thigh, if I knew anything about swordsmanship, which I don't, I would bet that that's, uh, that that's a a phrase or a, a, what do you call it? It's kind of like when you get ready to play tennis, you do a certain thing, and when you're, you know what I mean? When you're going to p- draw your sword, it's c- the striking the thigh. It has to do with, and you're going to draw your sword. Do you know what it's saying? I think that's what it's, you know, yeah, right. It's like strike your, strike your thigh, get ready, right? And then he tells him at, uh, in 14 to do a couple of things too, which were interesting. Clap your hands together and, yeah, let the sword be, what does that mean? Did anybody look that one up? When you draw the sword, now what does he tell him to do with his feet? Set your, what your, was it, your set your left foot and then set your right foot, right? He says set your left foot and then set your right foot. Strike the, do you see it? So slap your, slap your thigh so you're going to get ready. That's the first one in 12. Then in the next of the 14, he says, clap the hands. Now, that part, I don't know for sure what that means. Did anybody get any insight on that clapping of the hands besides the idea that it's to get ready? Okay. Well, you know, I do know this. Have you ever seen a lot of movies with the old ancient kings? And then what would the soldiers do? Boom, they come in, right? When the king does this, the soldiers come running. I'm wondering if that's what it's talking about. Do you think? Oh, that's interesting. That doesn't quite fit, though, does it? When it talks about getting ready with the clapping your sword. Now you've got your sword. The clapping of the hand might, I think it, hmm. Mm hmm. Certainly there's going to be grief, but... That's oh, which I think is so cool. What happens in the heavenlies when things are happening in the earth? Is there spiritual warfare going yeah. on in equal balance yeah. to what's going on in the earth? Yeah. So, God and what does his soldiers in the heavenlies do? They get, they get going, right? It's just like in the kingdom the king does this, and people come running, they come to work or come to do what the, the king's bidding. So, I think the clapping of the hands is a calling to action. Getting their attention, right? Slapped, he had slapped his, his thigh, seeing, getting ready for it to draw his sword, clapped his hands to bring in the soldiers, and then he says, now do what to your, uh, um, let the sword be doubled. And then re- somebody read that verse where it talks about what he does with his feet. There you go. Okay. Well, that's all right. But go to your right, go to your left. Okay. Yeah. I thought it said something about, um, okay. Set yourself. That's what he's saying. Set yourself. Well, how do you set yourself? Go to the left, set yourself, right? Now go to the right, set yourself. So that's what I, in my mind, that's where my vision went was the idea of setting himself in this way to slash the sword now one of the commentaries told me about the slashing of the sword that's why I was able to go to the next step with the feet thing Um, so in my mind that's what I saw happening so this is really talking about he's giving them a visual for the fact that a sword is coming right and that there's going to be warfare so he says strike your thigh in 12 then in 14 he says clap your hands So clap your hands together in verse 14 and um, let the sword be doubled. These visuals are amazing to me. Okay, and then the last one was very difficult too. I had to read several commentaries to fully kind of work this one out. Uh, and once once I got a little help from the commentaries, then I went back and reread, and it made better sense to me. What did you come up with on this one? What do you see in verse nineteen about the next sign that he is to give to them? Yes, yes. Right, we just talked about that. That's that's the idea of the spiritual warfare that's going on in the heavenlies as these activities are going to also take place here on the earth. So God is clapping His hands for His spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. Yeah. God, God's bringing judgment on two places. Which one's coming first? Yeah, exactly. That's, in in essence, that is what it is. There's going to be two places. The sons of Ammon, I think, is that right? Am I in the right one? The sons of Ammon and Jerusalem are the two places that, that the king of Babylon is going to come up against. Now, historically, what had happened is both of these places had had made Nebuchadnezzar angry because of their actions, right? So he was going to come. So when he gets to basically a fork in the road, right? It, it says to the two, make it two ways, right? Make two ways for the king of Babylon to come with a sign po- post. Now, what he's actually saying is draw out a map and show this to the people. And, and then he says, and when he comes, he's going to uh, divine, right? Ask his spiritual. These are the false prophets. As a matter of fact, if you look at, at the list that you would get there, these are not the good kind of people. But these diviners are going to divine for him so that they end up going to where first? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So he, in this case, it's really saying make a map. So I'm just going to put that kind of in, uh, in parentheses, but he's going to make um, two ways for King of Babylon uh, to come. And then he says, with a signpost. <laughs> what I thought of there was, you know how you see a little Y in the road, you know? With a signpost, so there's going to be this little signpost on this map, and then this is going to indicate to them that this king is going to come. When he comes, he has to decide which way is he going to go, and this is what he's going to do. He's going to divine for it. Right, that's right. And the king of Babylon will divine, and what will he do in those verses? He will attack Jerusalem first. Okay. All right, and then he says why he's doing this to them. It's because your sins are uncovered, right? In other words, your sins appear. Your iniquity is remembered. People know about it. It's seen. And in essence, what happens, God's name is blasphemed in the world because of their bad behavior, which is now being seen by everybody, right? Thus, you will no longer what? What will they no longer have for themselves? A king. king. He says, remove the turban, right? And um, there was another word in there. I can't remember. The cr- it was a crown. Okay, remove the turban and remove the, tr- the crown. He said, this will be no longer in your land. This will never be, n- no longer be the case. Um, now, did you notice the little note that Kay gave us about those last few verses, 28 to 32? That in the Hebrew Bible, these verses are actually at the beginning of the next chapter, 22. 22. Does that make better sense if you see them in the next chapter? They really It really does to me, too. I think that's interesting. In the Hebrew Bible, they've moved those few verses forward. Um, but what we see there is the sons of Ammon that will be judged, and God is saying that they are not to pull their swords and come in to Jerusalem, but that they are to stay where they are. God is going to deal with them there through through the king of Babylon. All right.